The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. If the Lord should turn away from us when we turn away from Him, we would not be standing even for a moment. It's almost incredible that some people believe that it's possible for man to furnish something which can satisfy God. But such a thought is utterly contrary to the truth of the Word of God. Everything which we have to offer back to Him is something which He has provided for us through the death of His Son, and we give back to Him no more than that which is His own. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's Word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the radio outreach which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's Word as taught by Dr. Barnhouse is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we'll be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled, The Story of Hosea. When a marriage is violated by adultery, the offended spouse may find it nearly impossible to forgive. But God is always seeking to restore us to fellowship with Him by His persistent love and mercy, even though we commit spiritual adultery every day in thought, word, and deed. Join us as we see how God's relentless pursuit of His people by His love and grace is vividly portrayed in the Old Testament account of the prophet Hosea. The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, Romans chapter 7 and verse 2. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, The Story of Hosea. Through the Lord Jesus Christ we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank thee always for thyself. This must ever be the center of our praise and our thanksgiving, for thou, thou alone, art our rock and our joy. Bless the going forth of thy word which comes to us, sustaining and maintaining us in the midst of the trials of this life. We praise thee that through it we have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and through him have entered into the knowledge of thy love and grace. Be with every listening heart in this hour to speak thy blessing and to recall erring hearts to thyself. And all that we ask is in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue our study in the first part of the seventh chapter of Romans and are considering the phrase, the law of her husband. In our last study, we saw the nature of Christian marriage as being the divine illustration of the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ as bridegroom and his church as the bride. It should be specifically noted that we are not speaking about the marriage of those who are not born again. Biblically speaking, 
the union of two people who are not in Christ is not Christian marriage. Oh, they've been joined together, but most certainly they have not been joined together by God. The original laws governing marriage were created by God, as our Lord Jesus Christ showed. But when man departed from God, all of these laws were abandoned, and man has been left to his own devices, as we've seen so strongly stated in the first chapter of Romans. Now, true marriage in the Old Testament was an illustration of God's relationship with Israel, and not God's relationship with the Egyptians or the Philistines or any other of the Gentile peoples. Marriage in the New Testament is the reiteration of the same principle, the union of the church with the Lord Jesus Christ. To break such a union would be the denial of the eternal love of God, and therefore it would be a distinct sin of the highest category. Unsaved people may marry and separate and remarry and separate and marry again or live together with or without a ceremony. They have not changed their status in the slightest so far as God is concerned. For those who are not born again, changing mates can and often does go on as often as buying a new suit of clothes. But true Christians are in this world of polygamy or of successive monogamy, but true Christians are not of it. And we know what it is to have the law of marriage as an illustration of the union of the church with Christ. I wish now to turn to what I consider to be the greatest story in the whole Bible, which includes perhaps the greatest phrase in the Bible. It is a story that is little known, as it has almost never been used in any of our Sunday school literature during the past generation. In spite of the fact that it comes to many people of something new and strange, it comes with the impact of the freshness of the word of God. It is the story that illustrates the faithfulness of God to an unfaithful people. It's a romantic story. It's a story of love, marriage, adultery, conquering love, restoration, and the joy of fellowship. It's the story of the love of God for sinners. There came a time when the Lord appeared to one of his servants in the Old Testament, a man who became one of his prophets, and told him that he was to enact in his life the relationship of God with Israel. The prophet was told that he was to marry a woman who would become a harlot, and that he was to be faithful to her in spite of her unfaithfulness. It's the story of Hosea. It's all the more startling because it was the Lord's first appearance to Hosea. There were men in the Old Testament times who were called upon to do strange things, but Hosea was the one who was faced with the most difficult task of all. One of the prophets, Ezekiel, was called upon to play games in the marketplace, making a, a blackboard talk, you might say, scratching on bricks the form of the walls of Jerusalem, putting sticks in the ground around the city to represent an encompassing army, and then taking a battering ram, knocking down the walls of the city, destroying the houses and the people within the walls, and then announcing to the gathered crowd that the Lord was about to send invading armies to destroy the city. But that was not as bad as marrying a woman who would become a harlot. We read in Hosea, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Now the key to the verse is in the conjunction for. 
Do this, says God, for the land hath departed. Do this because the land hath committed great whoredom. In other words, Hosea was to live a dramatic pageant before the nations of Judah and Israel, whom God counted as one nation. Hosea was to play the part of the loving and faithful God. The erring wife would be cast in the role of the perverse nation. She would play the harlot with many lovers, even as Israel had left the true God to go after a multitude of strange gods, Baal and Ashtarte and all the rest. The heart of the pageant would lie in the fact that Hosea would be faithful to her, even in the midst of her greatest unfaithfulness. And when the lowest point in her folly should be reached, she would find her husband there at the nadir of her misery, and he would redeem her and bring her back into the joys of truth and righteousness. The prophet married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. She conceived and bore him a son, and the Lord told Hosea that this first child was to be named Jezreel. Now this is a Hebrew word which expresses the idea of a hand hurling something away. It might be translated cast aside. There was a town of that name, Jezreel, which had figured horribly in the history of Israel. The terrible apostasy of the time of Ahab and Jezebel was brought to an end when God moved against the land in the time of Elijah. It had been prophesied by this great prophet that Jezebel would be eaten by dogs and that this would take place by the wall of the town called Jezreel. And it was thus that it came to pass when Jehu caused this woman to be hurled from the window of the palace. We can well understand, therefore, the significance of naming a child by the name of this town. It would come as a reminder as sharp as that which would be caused were a child to be named Dachau or Belsenhausen, the names of the horror camps where Hitler treated men so frightfully and where so many thousands died. But we shall see in a moment that the name of the child was to be changed before the story was ended. For this whole story is the story of the Lord's marriage, and all must come out right in the end. But first of all, it had to be announced that the nation would be cast away into the uttermost parts of the earth, as a man would pick up a stone and fling it from him. Then Hosea's wife conceived again and bare a second child, a daughter, this time, God ordered the baby to be named Lo-Ruamah. And this name means in Hebrew, unpitied. For the Lord said, I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. And now when Gomer had weaned this daughter, she conceived and bare a third child, a son. And God said, call his name Lo-Ami. And this name means not my people. For, said the Lord, ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Now, if we had no more than this, it would indeed be a terrible story. It would appear as though it were possible for God to divorce his people and break the marriage covenant by which he has bound his people to himself. If this were so, there would be little of good news in the message which we have to declare unto men. If the Lord should turn away from us when we turn away from him, we would not be standing even for a moment. It's almost incredible that some people believe that it's possible for man to furnish something which can satisfy God. But such a thought is utterly contrary to the truth of the word of God. Everything which we have to offer back to him is something which he has provided for us 
through the death of his son, and we give back to him no more than that which is his own. Now in the story up to this point, we have the full outline of the history of God's ancient people up to the present day, scattered, unpitied. Who can deny this in the light of the ninth of Ab, the destruction of Jerusalem, the armies of Titus, and the continuation of this great blight throughout the centuries? The pogroms and the concentration camps all bear their mute testimony throughout history that God is dealing with this ancient people whom he loves so much. And it should be noted that none of this has any relationship whatsoever to the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that all of this prophecy was made in the prophetic times, even as it had been made by Moses in what we call the book of Deuteronomy. Scattered, unpitied, lo ami. These are the children of Hosea. This is the history of Hosea's people. But it is at this point that God intervenes to tell us that it will all turn out well and that they will all live happily ever afterwards. For we read in the next verse, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Now this is going to come to pass. Do not think for one second that any righteousness or peace is going to come to this earth through the United Nations. Righteousness and peace will come to this earth only through a redeemed and restored Israel. Not from that pile of stone at the east end of 43rd Street in New York shall peace come to this earth, but from Jerusalem fully possessed by Israel in the land. The prophecy continues, and the names of the three children are now changed by God himself. For we read, Then shall the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhamah. Now it would appear, if we had only the English version, that the name of the first child has not been changed. But there is indeed a change, subtle but wonderful. Jezreel, as I have pointed out, is the expression of the gesture of casting something with the hand. The same general motion is used for throwing something away that is used for the planting of grain. The sower that went forth to sow in ancient times put his hand in his sack took the grain and cast it from him with a sweeping motion. And God now says that just as he himself hurled his people into the ends of the earth, so he himself shall plant them in the land, which he swear unto them from the foundation of history. And again, instead of being called not pitied, they shall be called pitied, or the objects of the mercy of God. And instead of being called not my people, they shall be called the sons of the living God. This is the blessed future of this ancient people. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but the word of the Lord shall not pass away. I recall an interesting incident which took place a day or two after the United Nations created the new nation of Israel. One of the large radio companies telephoned me to ask if I would appear on a forum program 
with a representative of the Arab people and a representative of the Zionist movement. The master of ceremonies sat with us a short while before we went on the air and announced the order of procedure. The Arab was to have 60 seconds to outline his case. The Jew was to have 60 seconds to announce the case of Israel. Then I was to speak for 60 seconds, after which there was to be general discussion. The Arab was in a white heat of terrible anger. The decision of the United Nations had been one of the great catastrophes of history. Blood would flow until the terrible wrong was righted. This had been a great step away from peace. And then the Zionist spoke. He was quiet and confident and set forth the idea that now there would be peace in the Middle East because since Israel had her little corner, she could now draw her children to her and there would be no more pressure on the other countries and peace would be the inevitable consequence from the Near East and throughout the Middle East. I began by saying that both were wrong in the light of the Bible. This was not a day of wrath, but the beginning of righteousness or a type of it, because God had given the land to Israel in its ancient times and she was going to possess it all. They would come into the full control of Jerusalem and they would possess what is now Jordan since that was the land of Ephraim and Manasseh. They would possess, but by this time, though I had spoken but 20 seconds of my minute, both sides attempted to interrupt me, the Arab frothing, the Jew telling me that they didn't want any more than that they then possessed. When the master of ceremonies reestablished quiet, and it was agreed that I might speak out my full minute, I told them that it was not a question of what they wanted or didn't want. God had sworn by himself that he would give the land to Abraham and to his seed forever. The names of Israel's children might be Jezreel, Loruama, and Loami today, but God is going to change them to planted, pitied, my people. The love and zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so now that the end of the story is told, before we finish the first chapter of Hosea, God goes back and begins with the details of the adultery of Hosea's wife, Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. To me, this is the most poignant page in the whole Bible. There is nothing to be compared with this story. It is the most dramatic story ever penned. It is the tenderest story ever written. It's the most romantic plot ever devised. And it is not fiction. It is fact. And the fact of this story is not merely the history of the nation of God. It's the history of each heart, of your heart and mine. Here is the story of our wandering away from God. And here is the story of his faithful, unchanging love for us, even at the moment of our wildest deviation from his grace. And here is the story that makes true love so wonderful and that makes the divorce of such love so terrible. Gomer must have been a woman of great personal charm, but like so many of her sisters who have walked the primrose path, she soon learned that the way of the transgressor is hard. As she passed from man to man, she ultimately fell into the hands of a man who was no longer able to pay for her food and clothing. It has often been true that a woman who goes in the path of sin may begin with someone who can afford to give her a mink coat but will end with someone who will make her clothe herself from the cast-off garments in the second-hand barrel. And thus it was with this woman, Hosea's unfaithful wife. And when she was in this predicament, 
Hosea met the man with whom she was then living. The conversation must have run something like this, and I will establish it from the context of the story, though the words are not actually printed there. Are you the man who is living with Comer, the daughter of Diblame? Hosea asked. Well, what if I am? The man might have answered. What's it to you? Well, I happen to be Hosea. <gasps> A moment of consternation. And then Hosea continued, Look, I know you're not able to take care of her. I know that you're having trouble to make ends meet. And, and I, I don't want her to suffer. Will you, will you take this money and buy her food and drink? so that she'll not want. The man stared at Hosea incredulously, but saw that the offer was bona fide and that there was indeed silver in the outstretched hand of the anguished prophet. And uh, the man reached out his hand and took the money, thinking perhaps that there was no fool like this old fool. But who can explain the sanity of true love? Love is of God, and it is infinite. Love is sovereign. Love is apart from reason. Love exists for its own reasons. Love is not according to logic. Love is according to love. And thus it was with Hosea, for he was playing the part that God has played with you all of your life and with me. The lover who had taken the money from Hosea went and bought the provisions that were needed. And as he came to their dwelling place, the foolish woman rushed to compliment him on all that he had done and to give him her love in return for this supply. Oh, you dear, wonderful man, she may have said, how kind of you to provide all these gifts that I need for my daily living. Now, some who know their Bibles a little will wonder that they have never heard this story, for it's one that is not often told. But we go to the word of God and we read it as it is found in our King James Version. For their mother hath played the harlot, she that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Can anyone be so foolish? Alas, yes, we can. And Hosea, we can see, following the man to whom he'd given the money, lurking in the shadows in the distance catching a glimpse of her who filled his whole heart, weeping as he sees her come out the door, struck to the heart as she thanks the deceiver for the goods which true love had provided and which villainy offers and which ignorant folly accepts. Here are the basic elements of the eternal triangle. It's the loving God, the faithless human heart, and the deceiving vanity of the world. There are the forces that are in play. There are the suitors who plead for our heart. Ours is the blindness which cannot distinguish between love and lust. Ours is the wickedness that does not understand that the law of the husband is the eternal law of the love of God. Now, in these studies, I am of necessity bound by the laws of time. I have just so many minutes to present the message. And today, like many another romance that the magazines print serially, I shall have to stop and say, to be continued. And when we come back to this in our next study, if the Lord wills, I shall go on to complete it. Though the real story of the love of God is always continuing and shall never end so long as time shall last.
And as we look upon it, may it draw our hearts to greater faithfulness to himself when we realize that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that you and I, believing in him, should not perish but have, have today everlasting life. And our God and Father, we pray thee that thou shalt break down hard hearts with this story that love may come in and triumph and that many may realize that we have been loved with thine everlasting love. We have spoken words to men's ears, wilt thou take it to men's hearts, that there may be no peace until there is rest in Christ. But in all thy redeemed own, may thy grace, thy mercy, and thy peace abide, and a new answering love to thee for all that thou hast done for us, and above all for thyself and thy love, and unto thee be the glory and the majesty the dominion and the power, now, till our Lord Jesus come again and forever. Amen. Hosea's loving pursuit of his adulterous wife corresponds to God's work of salvation on our behalf. He has redeemed us from the bondage of sin that we may be his beloved people forever. We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled, The Story of Hosea. You can listen to additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse via the Internet by visiting the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals website at alliancenet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling us toll-free 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, The Story of Hosea, or simply request message number R7-3. We would also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled, What God Has Joined Together. In the book of Malachi, God declares that He hates divorce. And yet, in America, the divorce rate among professing Christians is virtually the same as that of unbelievers. This booklet will show you from Scripture how important marriage is in God's eyes and how to maintain a strong, healthy relationship with your husband or wife. If you want to build a biblically sound marriage that will glorify God and stand the test of time, ask for your free copy of What God Has Joined Together When You Call or Write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We exist to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you have benefited from this broadcast and would like it to continue, please, won't you prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air? For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. Call us toll-free, 1-800-488-1888, or visit us online at alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed theologians and teachers such as Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, Michael Horton, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Then join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.